Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Today's guest is Christine Emba. She just wrote a brilliant Washington Post opinion piece on men. And we're going to get to Christine in a second. But first, thanks for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media. And we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe. And you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. Christine Emba is an opinion columnist and editor at the Washington Post, where she focuses on ideas, society, and culture. She is also a contributing editor at Comment Magazine and an editor-at-large at Wisdom of Crowds, which includes a podcast and a newsletter. Her book, Rethinking Sex, A Provocation, is about the failures and potential of the sexual revolution in a post-Me Too world. Christine was named one of the world's top 50 thinkers by Prospect Magazine in 2022. Christine, welcome into the back room. Thanks so much for having me. So first off, congratulations on your Washington Post opinion piece. It is blown up. It is everywhere. You are everywhere. It has gotten so much attention. And recently we had Donovan Ramsey on the pod, and he wrote a book about the crack epidemic in the 80s. And we talked about how it just seemed like no one else was talking about that and it's the Mm -hmm. same thing here like we talk a lot about men and masculinity and toxic masculinity all these things but it seems like no one has put it all together in a way that asks the kind of questions you ask and provide the answers that you attempt to provide and just analyze it in a way that hasn't been done before and it's just interesting to me that something like this hasn't really been written before. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for, for saying that I synthesized it that well. That's really flattering. I mean, honestly, for me, writing the piece was an attempt myself to try and pull together all of these different threads around men and masculinity in our culture that had been sort of swimming around for me and, you know, sort of get them try and get them in one place and figure out what the relationship was between them. Um, And so, yeah, so I am going to answer that question, but to do that, I'll tell you a little bit how I got to the piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So my first book is called Rethinking Sex, A Provocation, um, and it is about sort of sex and relationship culture post Me Too um, and what the feminist movement and sexual revolution have kind of done to our culture. And... I did a lot of interviews for that book, which came out last year. I talked to a lot of young women, um, but I also talked to a lot of young men. Mm-hmm. And while from the women I heard, you know, various complaints that were actually kind of, you know, mostly related to consent, uh, me too, the sort of issues of the moment, the men I talked to just seemed confused. Like they just, the vibe that I got from them was, uh, like me too stressed me out. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. Um, should I talk to girls or should I not talk to girls? Like, should I be masculine or is that toxic? I just don't know. I'm just going to sit on my hand. Put me in that, put me in that camp, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, so the book ended up, you know, relying heavily on the stories of women and some young men, but I was really interested in this sort of new feeling of just like confusion that I was hearing from men. And I kept looking around um, and talking to young men of my acquaintance, like reading about all of these different 
kind of bizarre manfluencers, I call them, who are showing up everywhere. And, you know, it sort of congealed into, okay, something is going on. Mm. Some Something is going on with men. And there are like all of these clear threads. And so I just wanted to dive in. I just wanted to know. I think one of the things that makes it, that has made it um, unusual for someone to take that comprehensive view or maybe why this piece hadn't been written yet is that I think talking about men, men's problems, the sort of sociocultural landscape takes a lot of courage you <laughs> well I, I was gonna say bravery and then i was like i don't want to just be like i'm obviously i'm the bravest person around and that's why i wrote it but you do have to be able to touch on like some uncomfortable topics and some of the conclusions men, that men love that though. come to men love <laughs> yeah having it presented to them all this uncomfortable stuff about themselves right right a lot of self-reflection mm-hmm. we're known um, for that <laughs> And But also, like, some of the conclusions I come to and some of the things that I bring up are sort of um, in in what I describe as kind of mainstream to sort of progressive society, it almost, some of them feel like a little bit taboo to just, like, try and talk forthrightly about sex differences and gender differences and, like, whether they exist, in fact, and what they are, Mm. or to try and put forward a particular vision of manhood or masculinity that some people might not agree with or some people might say that they feel stigmatized by like putting stakes in the ground in this moment i think uh, is something that we are prone to shy away from and to talk about a topic like this you're both touching uncomfortable questions and being really opinionated about them well it's an interesting time for a lot of reasons we're coming out of a pandemic we did go through Me Too. We're dealing with Trumpism, which I know impacts all of this. And just in general, the, you know, the patriarchy is such for a reason. Men have always controlled the power and the money and the conversation and don't really like having any of that threatened. And so then when you throw race into it, when you talk about white men... You know, white men are very territorial about money and power and control and controlling the conversation. So it's just really interesting what you're saying. You don't get a sense that men, and and these are, of course, generalizations, but are they ready? Will they ever be ready to hear this kind of stuff? Or is it just too threatening? Yeah, I actually think that a lot of men are ready to hear this or are, have been hoping Mm -hmm. to hear it. Uh, I was frankly, have been shocked by the response to this piece. I mean, not only the number of people who just clicked on it, which I think may pass a million um, by, you know, the end of this month, um, but by the sheer volume of email and mail that I got from just random guys who are like, I've been trying to work these questions out myself or I'm watching my son work through these questions. Mm-hmm. It does seem like there's something going on, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. Thank you for allowing us to have this conversation in public. Thank you for saying what I think we've all been thinking. It's almost like everybody had emotionality around this topic, had an interest in it, but just 
didn't there there was no person talking about it publicly who felt who seemed sort of appropriate or like a safe vector through which to have the conversation. And I think this is also part of why um, this piece hadn't been written before necessarily, because I think I'm in a unique position perhaps to write a piece like this. First of all, I'm a woman, not a man. So no one, it, it's harder to say like, oh, well, she's just speaking up for the patriarchy, which she's part of because I'm obviously not, you know, I'm a black woman. Uh, so it's like, ah, oh, she's speaking up for white men. Okay. Well, like clearly that's not who I am. So <laughs> like, it's harder to lob those complaints. And those complaints are the first ones lobbed often because these conversations about manhood and masculinity and the role that men should play have been kind of hijacked by sort of men's rights activists or like, you know, people like Andrew Tate or these mm -hmm. like sort of far right or just mainstream right figures that the conversation about masculinity and manhood almost has like a branding problem. So it's seen as sort of unsafe territory for even just an average man who's like interested in to talk about because immediately someone will be like, oh, you're one of you're one of those. It's interesting for me to hear you say that men <clears throat> seem ready and willing to self-reflect and be critical and ask the hard questions, because at the same time, we're seeing the pendulum swing so far the other direction, the Andrew Tates, the Tucker Carlson's, Donald Trump, Joe Rogan, Josh Hawley. I mean, if there is ever a guy who should not have written a book about manhood, it's Josh Hawley, right? <laughs> Accurate. Like, read, read the book. The blurb should be, read this book, and then do the exact opposite of everything I tell you. But it, it seems like there's a whole wave of young men who, I guess, are becoming radicalized. And that's like the Trumpism thing. That's like the mothership of all of this. So is it really like this two-pronged thing where men are more accepting of the conversation than ever? At the same time, there's this whole other group of men who are worse than ever. So that's a good distinction, actually. I think that perhaps men are more aware of the problems that seem to be facing men writ large. They're are more aware of their feeling of insecurity in the world. Um, so as you say, you know, just like over the past 20, 30, 50 years, our society has just shifted dramatically. Um, and men as a group are in kind of a different position than they were because women have advanced. Um, so women are now able to play the sort of like provider, leader, uh, corporate ladder climber, roles that men used to. Um, men are, or women are succeeding in education, which means they often can get better jobs. Um, there's also sort of the rise of um, LGBTQ plus organizations, which, um, and groups, which their visibility, I think, has made what used to feel like very strict, obvious trappings of mm -hmm. this is what it means to be male, female, et cetera feel just a little bit blurrier in a way that some people, and I think especially men, have found unsettling. Um, and the results of this societal insecurity are a sort of psychic insecurity, I think, among men, and especially among young men who are trying to figure out, okay, who am I? What does it mean to be a man? Where is my place in the world? So I think that's happening. And I think 
the data and the the feeling, the felt sense of discomfort has finally become just so obvious that it's hard even that I that I think even the most oblivious man <laughs> might sense that there's something in the air, right? You know, like maybe you wouldn't put your finger on it or know exactly what it was, but that, you... By the way, that would be a great reality show. You know, like you have The Bachelor and all that. It should, it should, somebody should do The Most Oblivious Man. And it should be like, <laughs> we took 25 guys, put them in a house to see who could be the most tone deaf and oblivious. I'd watch that. The, di <laughs> the dishwasher was not open for the entirety <laughs> of the 30-year period. Everything started to smell weird. Nobody noticed. See, that's uh, it. You, that's, it'd be a great show. Uh... <laughs> but I mean, I do think that the sense that things are changing is there um, and men are willing to acknowledge that. I think where you see the divide is what they want to do about it. Mm. Um, I think there are some men, some people, I guess, who have sort of sense this change and their uh, reaction is just to kind of retreat from the world. Be like, I don't know. I don't want to deal with this. You have some men whose response is, um, what I describe as social identity theory or in the piece, which is if you feel like your identity, your core identity is threatened, for example, your masculinity, then you just like double down on masculinity and try to be like the most extreme version that you can. And so you find those people following masculine extremists, right? Like right. Andrew Tate, et cetera, et cetera. Or there are people who are, I think, I don't know, in touch with themselves enough to sort of investigate, to start thinking of like, okay, well, who who am I? What path should I be on? Where do I go? Mm -hmm. And those are the people that are, I think, who I'm, who I'm speaking to, who I think there's a chance for them to go kind of in almost any direction. But what's happening though, is that there's kind of a vacuum in direction. Um, the right and these right-wing figures like Joe Rogan, like Jordan Peterson, et cetera, mm -hmm. are saying, okay, we see the confusion. Here's a map of how to be. It may not be an amazing map, but it's a map. And then sort of on the, the left and progressive side, they're not really offering anything. Instead, they're saying like, ah, there's actually not a problem. Men, just get used to the new world. Is it really that complicated? I have three daughters. And I feel like I'm a pretty respectful person in general, right? I live by the golden rule. It's kind of a simple concept to treat others like you want to be treated. Is it really that complicated? Like if you're a young man, just treat a woman with respect, right? You know, don't bully people. Just don't be a douche. It startles me sometimes that like, is it really necessary to even have the conversation? Are men so unaware of their douchiness at times, that we have to have this conversation. I guess we do, right? But it, it just doesn't I mean, seem very—it just... doesn't seem very complicated a concept, you know. Just don't be a well. Douche. You just—you just made the joke about the uh, the most oblivious man show. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I mean, no, I get it. I I totally get it. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out because I think there's a couple of interesting things. Your piece is titled "Men Are Lost." Here's a map out of the wilderness. And it got me thinking of the James Brown song, This is a Man's World. And I went and looked at the lyrics, and it's, this is a man's world, but it would be nothing, nothing, not one little thing without a woman or a girl. He's lost in the wilderness. 
He's lost in bitterness. He's lost. Lost. And I was like, whoa. That just, not only did that just mm. change my whole perspective on that song, it just made me think of your piece. And then the Barbie movie comes out and we're hit with that, yeah. right? And it's like, even those of us who think of ourselves as modern and advanced and respectful, it's like you watch the Barbie movie and you're like, that's it. I'm handing in my man card because this gender is really messed up. And it's like we're, we're sort of in this weird inflection point where the conversation, whether it's a Barbie movie or your piece, is shining this light post Me Too. And I don't want to downplay the significance of of COVID and the lockdown, because I think COVID put young men, teenage boys, in this little bubble that they were living in for a year or two. And it's just a weird place we're at right now. And so the timing of your piece is so amazing, because I think the conversation about all this is desperately needing to be had right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think you're really putting your finger on something when you're pointing out COVID and the effects that COVID had too. Because in a sense, you know, the Me Too movement happened. There's already sort of this change in the air and then almost instantly everybody was just sent to their cells to think about it mm -hmm. for three years alone, basically, and react to it themselves, I guess, without human contact. And it is, you know, just kind of a fact that women tend to have stronger friendship networks um, than men do. And I think many women were more able to sort of like keep in touch with each other and do things during the pandemic, especially young women who, who also suffered though, during the pandemic too, in the same ways that everyone else did. But I think for, for young men, um, the pandemic may have been a period of sort of just retrenchment into sort of their own little worlds where they weren't dealing with this stuff. Um, and if they were, it was by like getting online and like spiraling down into watching YouTube videos of various influencers to deal with it, but not having contact with humans of the opposite yeah. sex. And, po and porn. <laughs> yeah. And right. Watching porn and like taking in the messaging there um, and not, not really having that corrected by any outside influence because mm. we were all locked down inside. And so now I think we are in an interesting moment where people have kind of mostly emerged from COVID. And maybe this is also why the timing of some of these pieces, my piece, the Barbie movie, some of these other ones is interesting, is that we've popped our heads out from under the ground. We're looking around and realizing that society has shifted a little bit. What happened? How are we going to deal with this? What does it mean? But you could say that about change in general, right? I mean, like, if we put the focus back on white men, they hate change, you know? Women should be barefoot and pregnant. Black people should know their place. Gays should be in the closet. The Republican Party wants to go back to the 1950s. And so being told you kind of suck as a man and you're doing all these awful things, I would imagine the pushback is huge now, especially coming after... COVID, where people had to sacrifice, especially if you're a young man coming out of your bedroom for the last two years where you're just playing video games and just withdrawn from the real world. Uh, it, it could be a, a, a shocker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so masculinity, good masculinity, 
toxic masculinity. Let's discuss those things. What is masculinity? What should a man be, in your opinion? <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the key question. It's the one that everyone is asking. Um, well, first of all, I think you, just like all the words that you just said, there's good masculinity, there's toxic masculinity, there's all of these different kinds of masculinity. I think one of the things that has been oddly that has been odd in our conversation and that I tried to pull out in this piece too, is that in the modern moment, especially in the mainstream, there's an odd reluctance to say that masculinity is a thing at all. Mm -hmm. Like that being a man and being masculine is sort of like a specific thing that you can do and do well. Um, that there's like uh, some sort of norm or ideal around that. Um, and that it's different, like distinct from being female or femininity. And so in the piece, I, I go to great lengths actually to say, like, I actually do think that like masculinity is its own thing. And in fact, like that is a thing that a lot of men and young men are sensing or have sensed that there's like a thing about them that is their like embodied experience of being male and they want to know how to do that well, mm -hmm. not just be like, be a good person generally writ large, but like be a good person in this context that they identify as. Um, and so it's important to try and like figure out what it means to be good in, in that context, not just more broadly. And that's kind of the map that young men are looking for. Um, I think one of the mistakes of the culture recently has been to brand masculinity and maleness and manhood as toxic, which is, you know, this term that you pointed out. Um, I think it, you know, kind of started almost jokingly in sort of the early 2010, but really reached its zenith around Me Too. The sort of like acceptability of joking about how men are trash and men suck and all masculinity is toxic, how men are men as a class were just toxic. Um, and while I think that was actually being used to, the point of that was to say like men should be better. Um, it's not really inspirational. It doesn't really inspire you to be a better version of the thing. If someone's like you, this thing about you, it's trash. <laughs> you, <suck. laughs> you, you need to get rid of it. It's yeah. You suck. Be better. Like, okay. It's a big motivator. <laughs> right. Um, and so there's masculinity, then there's this idea that all all masculinity, all maleness is toxic and needs to be changed into something different. But like, what's the difference? Should should masculinity become femininity? Should we tell men to just stop being like themselves and be more like their sisters or their moms instead? Like, that's not actually attractive, I don't think, to most men to hear like, you are bad. You should try being this other you should try ignoring all of these traits about yourself and be something else. Um, so I think the, I think that what the right has been doing has been to like kind of get out ahead of, of the crowd mm -hmm. in some sense in saying like, Hey men, we know you're men and it's great to be men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We love men. And actually, like you were saying, like, you know, actually what would be better is if we just, acted like the men of 50 years ago, like our grandfathers. And that's what the world should be like. And it's the liberals and the feminists who are taking it from you. Um, back which, when men were men. 
back when men were men and women knew not to talk. Um, and yeah, that's, that's not a great solution, but it's attractive in some way, simply because it says honestly, like, Hey men, we notice that you're real. Like we want to give you a hand in some way. And I think what's missing in the discourse is a positive vision of masculinity that isn't about throwing it back 50 years. That mm -hmm. isn't about silencing women or sort of reconstructing this lost era of John Wayne manhood that's frankly not going to come back because it's in the past but trying to trying to say like hey men exist if you're a man that that is actually great for you but this is how you can be a man in a pro-social healthy way that like is helpful today in today's society maybe we're just all hung up on labels like instead of focusing on masculinity or femininity we should just be focusing on humanity. How to just be a better person. Yes, we're different. We have different parts and all that. And it's obvious. We're not the same. But at the end of the day, where it really matters, aren't we the same? Don't we want the same things? I have a woman who's a part of our team here. She's shaking her head right now. What, Jen? What, why are we not the same? No. <laughs> no. Ah, but, well. well, this is a generalization again. But we all want to be... I think start trying to be good people. We all want to be good parents. We all want respect. We all want to be happy. We all want to live in a world that's safe. I mean, we all, all right, maybe we all should be the same. I guess that's my point. That's you know? interesting. That's like, that is a, I feel like that's almost the number one pushback that I've gotten to this piece, this idea of like, well, why don't we all just try to be good humans? And I think that that's true. I think that we are all humans and we all want to be sort of like the best version of human we can be. Um, but that most people need something more specific to guide them in how to be a good person hmm. or the ideal to strive for than just like, just be good vaguely. Like that's such a capacious thing to say that it almost doesn't really. I know it's one of the many idiotic things I've, I've been known to say in my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, especially so. The piece was in particular aimed at kind of young men. And I think that there's an age thing here too. Um, when you're younger, I think you you simply don't know as much about the world or about like what it means to be a good or a good version of yourself. And you're looking for role models um, and map to sort of like figure out kind of just like get on the basic path to being good in the right way. And then as you grow older, you kind of, you know, reconstruct or deconstruct those paths and sort of like branch out in whatever direction you need to, you know, become the male that is yourself or like the, the model becomes you. But in the beginning, most people still need a, a path to start from that is kind of specific to that. And I do think that like, again, masculinity and femininity, I think sort of exist on a spectrum, right? Like there's a, there's a ton of overlap. Um, in the qualities, the good qualities that men and women share or don't share. Um, but like at very, at like the sort of ends of the spectrum, there are some traits that tend to cluster like on the male side and on the female side. And perhaps being a good person means like understanding what it means to be a good person in light of the characteristics, the traits, the embodiment, the strength that you have. So I don't know, for instance, like if you're, 
we're two people. We're both like humans. Sure, we're the same. Um, but like a man is significantly stronger than I am or, you know, than old people or babies are. What does it mean to be a good person in that context? That in, in the context of like being a man who has like these qualities that make your life experience different mm -hmm. in a world that has expectations for gender still that make your experience of walking through the world and the way that you relate mm -hmm. to people different from mine. Right. What does it mean to be good there? And I think that's the, especially that's when you have when for. you have inherent advantages or inherent disadvantages or disadvantages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. No, I get that. No, look, it's very similar. I've had many arguments with people about all lives matter and try to explain why mm -hmm. that phrase is ridiculous. And I think the application is the same here. I was more posing it more like in a perfect world, we should all just be better humans. But I, as a man, a white man, I understand the privilege that I was afforded just by popping out of a womb. <laughs> that's, that's just the reality it's, it's of also, it. It's also funny, like this, this idea, like in a perfect world, we would all just be good humans. And like that, it's sort of true. But honestly, well, it's not real. I, yeah, and I, I actually don't think that people necessarily want that. Like most people who you talk to, male or female, don't really want to live in an androgynous, unsexed, like undifferentiated world right. where we're all just like disembodied good people. Mm -hmm. Like there is something interesting and attractive to them about like having sort of like these poles of like male or female and masculine and feminine and old and young mm -hmm. and learning how to be a good person in that space is like what makes the world interesting in some sense. Well, there's so many cliches over the years that play a big part in this conversation that serve to confuse and frustrate men, women, little boys, little girls. It could be everything from boys will be boys to, you know, mm -hmm. he's a man's man. What What is, you know, what does that mean? You know, um, <laughs> Or when a woman says, oh, oh I, I like bad boys, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I went on a date about 25 years ago with someone. She, the whole date, she explained to me how much of a feminist she is. And she doesn't need a man for this. She doesn't need a man for that. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm cool. I get it. And then she got pissed off at me because when we left, I didn't get a cab for her. And I was like, she spent the entire dinner telling she me. Told me she told me not to do The last thing I'm going to do is even hold a door open for this woman because she was so. <laughs> and it's like. I guess a lot of men, I'll speak for men, we're trying, we're trying to get it, we're trying to do the right thing, but there is a lot of mixed messaging right from when you're little kids and the roles little kids portray and the toys they play with, the clothes they wear. It's like this stuff is just indoctrinated into us at a very young age. Men don't cry. You're not supposed to show feelings. Like if we show feelings, you're a wimp, you're a chump. Even if you start out as a good person who's trying hard, all of these things just are thrown at you throughout your life. It's complicated. And so what makes a good man and what makes a good woman? What is masculinity in a good light? What is femininity in a good light? Because we are agreeing that we're not the same. How do those two genders compete and thrive and exist in a world together where there is the attraction and the differences, but yet we're just not treating each other, mistreating each other? Great question. I mean, I think what you're, what you're describing there is, is sort of the tension of this moment, right? Like there are all of these, there, 
there are lots of existing sort of tropes and ideas floating around about how to be a man, whether it's men don't, you know, boys don't cry or, you know, men like only love sports or whatever. There are all these different images. And what we have to do, I think, in this period to figure out what a good man looks like, what a real masculine ideal looks like, is to try and figure out like what, which of those, I don't know, tropes, prescriptions, descriptions are actually positive, are actually sort of useful things for us, for for our health, our mental health, our society, and foster those in the definition of being a good man and begin to, if possible, start moving away from the not so helpful ones or the not so useful ones. Um, and so there's there's something else there's something else that makes this definition this definition problem interesting too that I'll touch on before I keep it almost I almost sometimes feel like I'm just shying away from answering the question of like <laughs> so what is the ideal yes tell me I need to know answer. how can I be a better man <laughs> um well so it's interesting one of the reasons one might why that anthropologists um suspect that there is more discussion over how to be a good man or like what an ideal masculinity is um, that's separate from just being male is because for women, frankly, there's sort of a moment when a girl becomes a woman. Like, you know, she has her first period. She is fertile. Like, it's obvious to everyone. Right. And like, there's kind of like that break in life and you don't really have to do anything for that to happen. It just happens and mm -hmm. it's like very clear. And that's kind of like your introduction to womanhood. And for men, obviously you go through puberty, but there's not kind of like that click change almost. It is kind of when your voice stops doing this, like... when you when you stop talking like this. Hey, I actually which sound which like a male. A moment. <laughs> yeah. So in most societies that anthropologists, where anthropologists have like studied how gender is created, um, young men are often initiated into manhood by other men um, mm. by being taught and forced to sort of like prove these other traits that make them not just a male, but actually a man, um, like a stand-up member of the community. And We're going hunting today. Well, so kind of. So um, one of the uh, anthropologists I quote in my piece, David Gilmore, um, wrote a book where he surveyed like all these different tribes across the world for their sort of definitions of manhood and what this looks like. And he he pointed out that every sort of group he talked to did have this kind of distinction between just being male, just being a boy and being a man. And that manhood was often composed of like these three tropes, right? Of being someone who protects other people, your family or your tribe, someone who provides for other people, your family, or your tribe, and also in fact, creates surplus if possible. And then someone who procreates, right, who is able to have kids and like sort of spread their their seed, their bloodline. Um, and those were like the three traits that composed being a man in all of these societies. And I asked people in the piece, so in the piece there was a call out, which is still open by the way, where I asked readers to write in and tell me who their ideal who their ideal of masculinity was or what that was and why. And I was actually really surprised to see that 
almost all of them kind of reflected in some ways the same thing. You know, it's like, oh, my dad, who, you know, we didn't, he didn't make much, but he provided for our family and made sure that we had food on the table instead of beer in the fridge went one. Um, you know, he always stood up for, you know, the women around him and his friends. Um, he had really strong character. And this is one that comes up that's like not physical, actually. It's not dependent on how much brawn you have or how good you are at hunting. But just like this person doesn't tell lies. Mm. Uh, they don't cheat on their spouse. They have a goal that's about helping other people or improving the world somehow. And they like go after it and don't falter. Um, things like that came up a lot. But yeah, it the the. Things that people said were ideals of masculinity, like actually tended to be pretty repetitive. It was sort of like they were strong in their way. Like maybe they were really smart. Maybe they were physically strong, whatever. But whatever their skill was, they honed it. Um, yeah, they provided for and protected like the people around them and cared for the people around them. Um, they, if they had families, showed up for them and led them well and were willing to help in and pitch out help out and pitch in for other people when they needed help. Like those are the qualities that kept coming up and they aren't really dependent on just biology, even though some of them like using your strength well, um, seem more biologically relevant to someone who has a lot of strength say than someone who doesn't. Uh, but they're all traits that like could be cultivated. And if how, you know, them. right. And so how do we get out of the wilderness? Is this just, the conversation just needs to continue and there'll be little bits of progress along the way. Yes, this is very important. Uh, one of the bits of criticism that I occasionally came in to for this piece was, how are you writing about the ideal man or a map out of the wilderness? You're not a man. How can a woman tell me how what to do? And I think that's kind of a ridiculous critique. Hmm. But in some way, like whether it's ridiculous or not, it does seem... A little bit to be the case. So I interviewed a lot of young men for this piece and a number of them told me about how they lacked role model, mm -hmm. actually, how they and their friends lack sort of positive male father figures or role models. And that's why they ended up turning to people like uh, Andrew Tate or Elon Musk. Tucker Carlson or whoever. Yeah, because I said, okay, well, there's, I don't, I don't have a good relationship with my dad. There's there aren't like men in my community who I look up to. So I'll just like look up to that guy who I always see on TV. And so it does seem like the solution is for men, like older men, especially who actually kind of feel like they get it, feel like a sense of stability in the world to reach out to those young men or those other men in their peer groups who seem a bit lost and take them under their wing in some sense. If there's like an initiation process sort of that used to happen where young men learn from older men how to be good men, it feels like that chain is broken in a lot of places and it will take older men stepping up um, to rebuild that, mm -hmm. actually. I also think society-wide too, there has to be an acknowledgement that this is a good thing and that it needs to happen. So not just say like, men are toxic we should have fewer men but actually just be like no men are men are part of our society we should work on ways to help them be better right um and sort of affirm that 
<laughs> rather than just sort of tossing it to the side. One of the things you cited in your piece, you spoke with this 19-year-old college kid from the University of Florida. And, and what he said struck a chord with me as being so profound, because I think it really gets to the heart of what we're talking about. He said, quote, I feel like there's a lot of room to be proudly feminine, but there's not, in my opinion, the same room to be proudly masculine. And I think it also speaks to what is masculinity? What is good masculinity? What, how should a young man feel? What should a young man do? Who should a young man be? It is confusing. Um, and so maybe it's just more that like women always seem to have their shit together more than men. They've always seemed to sort of figure their shit out because they've had to deal with more shit. They have to find their way through this world in a way that boys don't. And I think girls are just more advanced, emotionally advanced for sure. So I don't know. I just think that the advantages that men have in one aspect, they're really disadvantaged in another because I think their minds just have not developed over the years the way women's have. And you know, when you think of related to politics, we always hear about the suburban moms. The suburban moms are leaving Trump and the Republican Party. Why is that? Because it's the suburban moms give a shit. They give a shit about stuff, right? <laughs> they care about what goes on in this world. They don't like racism. They don't like bullying. They don't. And so you don't hear about suburban dads, right? So I think men have grown up in this bubble because they are privileged. There is a patriarchy. And that the net effect of that is it makes them clueless in many ways, you know? I don't know if there's a way out of the wilderness for a lot of men. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is. I think it will just take time and sort of changes in social norms in some sense, which is, which, yeah, it takes time. I mean, we talk about women. I think I also found that quote from that 19-year-old that very poignant um, and revealing. So it is, you know, scientifically true, actually, that girls' brains like tend to mature a little bit faster than boys. And so... That's one of the reasons why it's much easier for girls to end up outpacing boys in school because they kind of have like a mental year's head start. Um, and that contributes to some of the the um, inequality there, one could say. But when it comes to women having role models, part of the reason why women seem like they have so many role models right now is that, you know, after the feminist movement, basically, a lot of women took up the flag of like figuring out how to be a woman, like writing books about it, like talking about what it means to be a feminist or non-feminist, like sort of uh, like going through and like really thinking out what the various roles and understandings of womanhood over time have been. You know, there's now literally a, a, a field of study, you know, women's studies, gender mm -hmm. studies, that's just about that. Mm -hmm. And women did that because it felt like they were coming up from behind and needed to like figure out what their deal was and what they were doing so that they could also begin to take part in the world in a, in a full way. And I think it's exactly what you were saying. We have lived in a patriarchy and men have kind of always been ahead. And so they never had to think mm -hmm. about what their role was or about what they needed to do. They were men and men, whatever a man does is what he's supposed to be doing. And now it seems in this moment, because there is kind of some competition from women who are finally entering the field, it, the onus is on men to sort of think about and rediscover what it means to be a man. But if you think about the case of women, like it's taken 50 years. Right. And 
for men to sort of figure themselves out, it will take focused thought um, and concentration, like care about what that outcome is. And that will be up to men. I like your idea about a book. You've inspired me. I think I might write the male version of Our Bodies, Ourselves, because... I love it. I think it's. I think you're right. I think there needs to be like a like a guidebook for men. Christine, this has been a fascinating conversation. I could go on for hours, which means you'll have to come back because it's not just a short conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to. All righty. Take care. Thank you for listening. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy, and it was co-produced and co-edited by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. We'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. Have a great week.